listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. I wanted to just uh, thank you all, uh, number one, just for uh, the support um, that you've shown to the Williams family, just uh, the the meal train um, that... uh, Brielle and Rebecca helped get uh, set up and get in motion, and just the, the response there. Um, I would like to think that they're being inundated with food, uh, which is really, really good and takes one less thing off of their, uh, off of their place. So just uh, want to thank you for that. And there's, I think there's probably still some openings there if you're, if you're interested in helping out um, there just to continue to, uh, to minister to them. I know that they greatly, greatly um, appreciate that. Um, we're excited for them and for uh, the, the growth that's happening in their, uh, in their family. And so I just want to thank you for that. And uh, this morning we're going to be finishing up Colossians. Um, we'll finish up all of the rest of chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. And if you remember uh, last week, we talked about uh, two primary things. Number one, prayer, and it's a spiritual discipline. And it's actually the most important speech that we, we utter. And that uh, our prayers matter and how we speak matters greatly. And then we talked about um, just this lifestyle that we're to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And so how we live and how we interact matters greatly. We should walk in wisdom. We should live with a sense of urgency, of gospel urgency. We need to be gracious. Um, Our words need to be gracious. Our words need to be um, salty. Right, and um, but we need to have a personal connection with people as well. We need to be engaging with people, and so we want to make sure that we're we we say the right thing at the right time, regardless of who we're talking to. Right, and that's a pretty tall order, right? Honest, if we're honest about that. But um, God is gracious in all of those things, and so we want to uh, thank Him for that grace and praise Him for that grace. So this morning, as we finish up, what we're going to end up doing, we're going to talk about eight men or eight people um, that, and they've got some funny names, right? And so if you're, uh, I don't know if we have anyone here who's going to have any child anytime soon, but you know, if you need a name for a child, Tychicus is pretty good, Aristarchus, (laughs) right? If you want a good biblical name, right? Land on these. Um, But um, we want to, we want to learn something from these. And what we're going to learn is, is this, um, is that Paul um, did not do life in isolation, right? That Paul had companions with him, and there's a necessity that Paul had for gospel companionship, and that we have that exact same need in our lives. And so we're going to talk about these men and kind of some of the roles that they played in Paul's life and in the gospel ministry that Paul was um, part of. Uh, let me read. Um, Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. I will pray for us, pray for us, and then we will have some, we'll have some fun this morning in God's word. So this is what Paul writes. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord's. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, 
These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear, I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Herapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hands. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this time this morning. Lord, we thank you for uh, the privilege that we have to gather here, the grace that you have shown us and this uh, opportunity that we have to gather here. Lord, and we pray now that we would hear from you and from your words. Lord, that we would be humble, that we would be attentive. Lord, as we spend time talking about some men that Paul had alongside of him, Lord, and how that relates to us in this day. Lord, we know that your word is power. We know that your word transforms lives. And Lord, so we pray that we would sense that this morning. Lord, that your spirit would open up our hearts and would quicken our minds to, to understand what you have for us. Lord, that we would be challenged, that we would be encouraged. Lord, all of those things only happen through the Holy Spirit. Lord, and it is your grace that allows that. And we thank you for this. And we praise all in your name. Amen. Right? You cannot do, all right, one of the first things I have written down on this piece of paper is simply this, that the Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. Right? We were created for relationships, and so therefore we need to be in relationship with one another and with others. Right? This lone ranger mentality that some of us can have at times does not work. In fact, in Proverbs uh, chapter 18, verse 1, it says, He who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he breaks out against all sound judgments. Right? And so we need to be in community. We need to be in relation with one another because we will be more effective. We will be more fruitful. We will see growth, not just in our lives, but in the lives that we do life with. We have to be in community and in relation with one another. And God brings all kinds of people, right, through and in your life. And so all of this highlights the importance of discipleship. All this highlights the importance of accountability that we must have in these, these true, deep, meaningful relationships. Right, and so the, these gospel growth communities that we have here at TVC, the three that we have soon by God's grace to be four, right, those are a good start. Right, there's when you can start making connections with people. Well, what we want to see happen is that even in your GGC, you make a connection with somebody else in that GGC. You can go a little bit deeper with that person. 
Right? You make a connection with another guy in your GGC, right? Guy, guy, girl, girl, by the way. You know this cross-pollinating stuff, right? <laughs> but you, you grow closer to others in your GGC, and you develop these relationships. And Paul, right, Paul had these relationships in his life. And this is Paul, right? The, the apostle of apostles, Paul had men that served with him, that encouraged him, and that blessed him, and I would argue probably made him better at what he did because they were with him. Right? And we will see eight of these men this morning. And the first one is Tychicus. Right? And Paul tells us, Right, that he is going to, Tychicus is going to show up in Colossae and he's going to tell the people all about the act, all that's been happening, right, in Paul's ministry and to encourage them. Right, that's what Tychicus was going to do. That was his role. Right, but now Tychicus doesn't just appear in Colossians chapter 4. Right, he shows up in Ephesians chapter 6 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. And what happens is Paul used Tychicus in a very specific way, but Tychicus had a very um, servant's heart. And this is what I mean. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's going to send him to Ephesus to report to the church in Ephesus on what Paul is doing, how and what Paul is doing and how things are going, and to encourage the church. It's the same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He's telling Timothy, hey, I'm sending tickets to Ephesus to encourage that church. In Titus chapter 3, we read about Tychicus. And Paul's contemplating as he writes to Titus and says, hey, I might send Tychicus to you, right? In, and Titus is in Crete. Right? I may send him to Crete to take over for you so you can come to me in Nicopolis. Tychicus is obviously traveling with Paul. He's in Paul. He's, he's in prison or in the area when Paul's in prison here as he's writing the book of Colossians. But what, what you see about Tychicus is simply this, is that he was really willing to do whatever was needed Right, to help fulfill the ministry. Right? If it's going to report at a specific church on what's happening with Paul, I'll do it. Do you, you need me to go to Crete and, and temporarily fill a leadership role there so Titus can come back to you and, and you can encourage him and invest in him? I'll, I'll do it. Tychicus actually delivered the letters to the Ephesian church and the Colossian church and to the letter to Philemon. So Paul trusted him, and Tychicus had this servant's heart. And whatever, Paul, whatever you need me to do, however I can help you in ministry, I'll do it. Right? And, and traveling to Ephesus and traveling to Colossae wasn't booking a flight on Southwest. Right? It's walking. Right? It's like, whatever you need me to do, and it was dangerous. And like, whatever you need me to do, Paul, I will, will do it. So Tychicus had this servant's heart. Hearts. And then we read about Onesimus in verse 9. Onesimus is going to be with Tychicus, probably. They would probably travel together. 
And, and we know a little bit about, a little bit more about Onesimus because the book of Philemon is actually written about the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. And the book of Philemon, or the letter to Philemon, was a letter about how to reconcile, how Philemon was to reconcile with Onesimus, because Onesimus was, a, was one of Philemon's slaves, and who he stole from Philemon, and then he scooted, right? He left town. He fled to Rome, right? And as chance would have it, or as God would sovereignly plan Guess who Onesimus happens to bump into when he's in Rome? Paul. God uses Paul to share the gospel with Onesimus. Onesimus is saved. And Paul is sending him back now to Philemon and to Colossae. And he's going to urge Philemon in the book of Philemon, in that letter, to, to forgive him and accept him back. So if you have a relationship, if you're, if you're curious about what reconciliation looks like, read the letter to Philemon. Read it. Because you'll see Paul use loving language. You'll see Paul talk about just being thankful and gracious and, and having gratitude towards Philemon. You'll see him appealing to the love and relationship that he has with Philemon. Paul wants to, says, reconcile any way possible. Paul actually says, hey, if there's a cost involved with you reconciling with Onesimus, I will pay that cost. Right? And Paul assumes this healthy relationship and all that is only possible by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So is verse 25 of the letter to Philemon. But what's happening, right, is Onesimus, right, is now a brother in Christ, God has saved him. His life has been transformed. He has been united with Jesus. Like Philemon is united with Jesus. And because now they're united in Christ together, their relationship towards one another must reflect that relationship they have ultimately with Christ and to one another. So Paul's saying, Philemon, you need to reconcile with this man Onesimus and welcome him back because he is useful to me, right? Onesimus is involved now with the ministry of Paul. So despite his checkered past, Paul trusts Onesimus. And there's tremendous value that Paul sees in Onesimus to where he's going to send him out and do gospel ministry in spite of what had happened in his past, So you see Tychicus, who has a servant's heart. You see Onesimus, who kind of has this sinful, checkered past, but yet there's value in what he can do for the work of the gospel. And then we get to Aristarchus. Aristarchus, I believe, is, is of all these eight, is the one that's like most fascinating to me. Right? Because Aristarchus traveled with Paul in Acts, verse nine, in Acts chapter 19. Uh, Aristarchus is in Ephesus, right? and if you read Acts chapter 19, there's a ride in Ephesus because the gospel has taken a hold in Ephesus, and there are people now that are renouncing their gods and doing away with all the little trinkets and all the little idols, and some of the men in that city who made those trinkets and made those idols were losing money, 
And so they were upset at Paul, and so they rioted in the streets to get rid of this man, Paul, out of their city. And in the midst of that riot, right, they grab a man, Gaius, and a man named Aristarchus. Right, so Aristarchus is with Paul in Ephesus, ministering, seeing what's happening in that city. The gospel has turned that city on its ear. There's a riot, and they grab him. And Aristarchus travels with Paul from Ephesus to Macedonia, then to Greece, and then back to Macedonia. He's with Paul. And I think it's probably safe to say, getting back to Ephesus, that they probably didn't treat Aristarchus really nicely. Right? He probably took a couple hits for, for Paul. But then we read in Acts chapter 27 that Aristarchus is with Paul as he journeys to Rome. So he's shipwrecked with Paul, which I just find like fascinating in just a very like human perspective, in a human sense, like, hey, you're with this guy, Paul, a riot breaks out, they grab you and beat you, right? And then you're like, hey, we're going to travel to Rome. Sweet, we're going to Rome, and I'm shipwrecked, right? This man knew, right, hardship, and he knew like, okay, what's now, what now, what's going to happen? Now, he's one of Paul's companions. He shared in Paul's prison experience. Right? But he lived this gospel lifestyle. Right? He, he knew and he had heard that Paul said, right, be imitators, of, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Come what may, I must follow Christ. And you need to do that as well, men. Follow him, come what may, whether you're dragged out of, into the, out of the city streets and beaten, whether you're shipwrecked, come what may, follow me. And so Aristarchus had this really kind of sympathetic, caring heart, right, where he gave up his own freedom, he gave up his own rights. I might be shipwrecked, I might be beaten, but I'm going to minister alongside Paul for the gospel. And you have this man, Mark. <laughs> right? know a little bit more about Mark. Mark actually wrote the gospel according to Mark. We studied that a while ago. Right? Paul gives a little bit more detail that Mark was the cousin of Barnabas, and he tells the church in Colossae, hey, if he shows up, you are to welcome him. I mean, we don't know why he had to put that in there, but he did. Right? But Mark is another fascinating, fascinating person. Mark joined Paul and Barnabas on, the, on their first missionary journey. This is back in Acts chapter 13. Mark was a probably just an average guy, probably somewhat of an unknown, but, but Barnabas knew him. Right? Barnabas trusted him. They were, they were cousins. Right? And so Mark joins Paul and Barnabas on this trip. Right? There must have been some value there that Barnabas saw. He must have had some talents and abilities that were going to help in the gospel ministry as they journeyed. But it wasn't long into that first missionary journey that Mark gets cold feet and he bails. He deserts 
Paul and Barnabas, and he heads back to Jerusalem. And we don't hear about Mark until Acts chapter 15. Right? Paul and Barnabas have arrived in Antioch, and this wasn't planned. Jeff read that this morning on his own, so we'll say. Um, but Paul and Barnabas arrive back in Antioch. They deliver the letter from the Jerusalem Council. They update the church in Antioch about what's happening. Right? And they begin to make plans to, to go back and to revisit the churches that they had planted and been involved with and to be there to encourage and strengthen the churches. Well, apparently Mark was there. And in Acts chapter 15, verses 30, starting in verse 37, Paul and Barnabas have this little heated debate over this guy, Mark. And end, Paul and Barnabas end up separating over this because Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them, and Paul said, you're nuts. Don't you remember what happened? We just started out, and this guy bailed on us. So Mark takes or excuse me, Barnabas takes Mark and heads off to Cyprus, and Paul and Silas head out to Syria and Seleucia. And Paul's refusal to take Mark was absolutely legitimate. Right? Paul didn't trust him. And this was, this was hard work. Mark had shown a lack of courage, a lack of strength, a lack of commitments. He was a deserter. Remember, Paul's this, this sense of urgency that you had to live with and that we need to live with. And so Barnabas now disappears right, from the church record for about two years. Right? Mark disappears for about ten years. And he appears again for the first time in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning of whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. What's happened between Acts chapter 15 and Colossians chapter 4? It's the same guy. It's the same Mark. In those 10 years, Mark ends up connecting with this man named Peter. Most likely in Jerusalem. And Mark ends up spending quite a bit of time with Peter. In fact, Mark's gospel account is based upon Peter's eyewitness testimony. So in, these, in those 10 years, right, Peter invests in this man, Mark, and disciples this man, Mark, and encourages this man, Mark. And so 10 years go by, Paul is a prisoner, and Mark, this deserter, is with him, and Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to send him to you, church, and if he, if he shows up, if he's there, you, you welcome him. So it's gone from, I want nothing to do with him, to, hey, I can't go to you, but I'm going to send this guy, Mark. Mark is back in the, in the good graces of Paul. Paul sees a tremendous value in this man, Mark, that he didn't see, right, because of the way he was living and his, deserting them. But now, right, through God's grace and his sovereignty, 
Mark meets Peter. Peter invests in Mark, and all of a sudden, Mark and Paul are back together, and, and Paul is sending him out to do the work of the ministry. And how long does this last? Well, it lasts to the very bitter end for Paul, because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's the last letter that we have record that Paul wrote. It's during his second imprisonment, and he knows that his time is drawing near, that he's going to be killed for the gospel. And he longs to see Timothy, and he tells Timothy, hey, be sure to pick up Mark on your way here, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So Mark has this surprising future, right, as we start digging into his story. And although he had a checkered past, right, although he was a deserter, right, God had been gracious in his life, and now he is useful to the ministry. And Paul wanted Mark with him. So Mark is really a story of a restored deserter. He bailed when the going got tough, but by God's grace, Mark changed, and he was restored. Right? So you can't judge people on past failure. Paul didn't. He saw the work of the gospel and the grace that God had shown Mark, and he listened to him, and he welcomed him, and now he trusts him, and he's sending him out to do the work of ministry. And we get to justice. Jesus, who was called justice, he's probably the most obscure one on this list. We really don't have. There's other justices in the New Testament, but they're not. They don't believe that they're the same person. So we really don't know much about justice, except for with him and Aristarchus and Mark, they're the only men of the circumcision, and all that simply means, that's Paul's way of saying, these are the only Jewish Christians that were working with Paul at this point. Right? Which may seem like a little shocking, right? When I first, I'm like, boy, that's that, yeah, they're the only ones? Well, there are a lot of other people working with Paul. And that shows like Paul, the, the ministry of Paul was raising up new believers and Gentile believers to the work of the ministry. There's growth that's happening. There's discipleship that's, that's happening. And so that's actually, for me, it's like, that's a very exciting little phrase in this, in this book, in this letter. That he was a comfort and he was an encouragement to Paul. Right? Justice was willing to, to leave his people, right? to leave what he knew, to leave his family most likely, to, to leave the, the, the safety of his, of his religion and of his ethnicity and whatever, however you want to say it, right? to associate himself and to identify himself with Paul and to serve alongside Paul for the gospel. And so, man, he was committed And we have Epaphras, and, and, and we, know, right, we know a little bit about Epaphras, right? We know that he was most likely the, the founder of the church in Colossae. He ministered in Laodicea. He ministered, he ministered in Herapolis, right? Paul describes him as our beloved fellow servant and a faithful minister of Christ back in chapter 1, verse 7. 
God had chosen to use this man to bring the gospel message to a region that did not have a, a gospel presence. A church was planted and the church was growing. There was discipleship that was taking place. And it was through this man, Epaphras. Safe to say that this man, Epaphras, probably wasn't lazy if he's bouncing between Colossae and Laodicea and Herapolis. Right? He was focused on the gospel. He was focused on the believers and the people in these cities. He wanted to see their lives transformed by the gospel. He's with Paul in Rome. And even though he's with Paul in Rome, right, the Colossian people were weighing very heavily on his heart. The Laodicean people were very, weighing very heavily on his heart. We know that because remember, Paul's going to tell them to swap letters. Right, so these people weighed heavily on this man, Epaphras' heart, to the point where he's always struggling, Paul says, on your behalf in his prayers. He's a prayer warrior. He's praying for the people of these cities and of these churches. He's praying that they would stand mature and be fully assured in all the will of God. He wants to see these, these people continue to, to grow and to continue to mature as they disciple one another. They rely on the gospel in their lives and they, they share the gospel with their neighbors and they walk in wisdom towards outsiders and they're gracious and they're seasoned with salt and they're using the right words and they're engaging people for the gospel. Lord, may they stand mature and be assured of your will in their lives. He had a single passion of Patrick, and that was just for the people, but for the gospel to grip the people of these cities. And that was an encouragement to Paul. Right? Because, boy, here, here he's, he's with me in prison. Man, he is praying. I, he bears witness, right? Paul says he bears witness. This guy is praying for you. We're, we're hundreds of miles away, but he's praying for you. And we have Luke, first part of verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. Right? Luke was Paul's personal physician. Right? He was with Paul, traveled with Paul for the majority of his ministry life. Luke wrote the book of the gospel account of Luke and the book of Acts, and he wrote that to a man named Theophilus. Right, and Acts is an historical account of the birth and the growth of the church. And if you read the book of Acts, it starts off, and all like there's this transition in the book of Acts, where all of a sudden it's, he starts using we language. Like all of a sudden, now he's with Paul at this point. He may not have been with him, he may have been just hearing reports from people, but he connects with Paul at some point. And it's like, we traveled here, then we went here. So he's with Paul, and he's documenting, and he, he's writing. He's a physician, so when you read like the book of Luke, when you read the book of Acts, it's really kind of like methodical and laid out, and very well structured. I don't know if he had messy handwriting like other doctors typically tend to do, right? But he's like, if you think about Luke, right? He, he, he's a he's a physician. He's a doctor, right? And, and he kind of surrenders that. For the work of the gospel. 
I don't know where Luke grew up, but he could have just opened up a practice in the city where he was and just probably been pretty, pretty well for himself and just been very comfortable for himself. He's like, no, I need to, I need to, he surrendered that to travel with Paul and he still was, you know, tending to Paul, I'm sure, as Paul's getting beaten and shipwrecked and everything. But he's kind of like this, this like medical missionary. Kind of like the first one, maybe. It's like, hey, I've got this gift, I've got this talent, but I, I just, I can use this for, for, for the gospel. And so this is what Luke does. And then we get to this, then we hear, as does Demas, right? Demas gets the, the, the shortest, I think, uh, little mention in this list. And I'll say this, that initially, um, Demas... Um, made was really committed to, to the work of God, um, to the gospel work that was taking place, and, and to Paul. Um, he was with Paul in some of his imprisonments. He was with Paul in Jerusalem. He was with Paul in Rome. Now, I, I, I say initially because of what Paul writes about Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Again, this is the last letter that we know that Paul wrote, and it was, he wrote to Timothy to encourage Timothy. And in that verse, Paul writes these words, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, Demas is with Paul, in his imprisonment, is there with him. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Colossians was written in around early 60s A.D., we'll say 62 A.D. 2 Timothy was written in the mid-60s A.D. And so just quick thinking, like just math-wise here, I don't know, three, four, five years, you have a man that was with Paul, and now you have a man who's deserted Paul. He saw the same things that these other men saw. He had similar experiences. He saw the power of the gospel to transform lives and to captivate people's hearts. He saw church be, churches being planted he saw people growing in maturity in Christ. But something happens. Right? And Paul tells us what happened in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In love with this present world. Reminds me of the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. And there's seeds that are sown in thorns. Right, and these represent people who hear the words, but then the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the words, and it proves unfruitful. So you have this man, Demas, who heard the word, but as life went on, the things of this world's the cares and the deceitfulness of riches or the, the comfort, the desires for other things entered in and choked out that word and it proved to be unfruitful. 
For Demas, the pull of the world became too great and too irresistible. And so it's just this heartbreaking, it's heartbreaking to read what happened to this, this man. And we don't know ultimately what happens. Right? Maybe he was restored back. We don't know. All we know is that he was with Paul, and three to four, five years later, he's now not with him, and he's deserted him and has gone to Thessalonica because of the things of this world. We need to be aware Right, that there's a really good possibility that in your life you will have a, a Demas. Right? You will have somebody in your life that you invest a lot of time and energy and effort and you come alongside and disciple them and invest in them and yet they could still walk away. Paul has it here. Jesus had it with Judas. Right, so in these eight men, right, we see such a, such a wide range of just different people and different experiences right, that Paul had in his own life. And God used all of those men in some way, shape, or form in Paul's life and in the ministry of the gospel. So when you look at your life, when you look at and you see these people, right, that God brings into your life, right, they're there for a reason, they're there for a purpose. God does not waste anything or anyone. He uses them. And so if they're in your life and you see them and you may know someone who's like, boy, man, that, that person's just like committed, that person's got a singular focus, and it's just the gospel. This person, like this man, he's a prayer warrior. Like you, you, you see these people in your life. You need to understand, right, that you're one of those in somebody else's life. Right? God uses you, and it might be your checkered past. It might be the fact that you're a, a quote-unquote deserter. Like, I don't know, right? But like, he uses you, he uses your life in the lives of other people. Like he uses other people's lives in, in yours. Like we need that companionship. We need those stories. We need those accounts in our lives. God wastes nothing He will use those people like he uses you to, to, to grow you and to encourage you and to mature you. And Paul closes now in verses 15 through 17. He says, hey, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea. Right? He's got some greetings here that he urges the people. Hey, you know, hey let the people at Laodicea know that I, that I welcome them. Tell them I said Hi. And when you see, when you see this, this lady, Nympha, who who's, has a church that's meeting in her house, we have a house church here happening, right? Make sure you say hi to her as well. I've heard about her and what she's doing. Praise God for that. Make sure you say hi to her from me. And swap letters, by the way, right? I sent one to Laodicea. I sent one to you. Like, read them, understand them, and then just and trade them. And, and there's this man, Archippus, Right? And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. 
there's this, this, this man, Archippus, and I'm going to guess that he was probably feeling a little bit of discouragement, right? That Epaphras had, had been talking to Paul about what's happening, Colossae, and he's saying, man, good things are happening. You know, man, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Praise God for what he's doing and what he's done. But, but, but there's this, this man, Archippus, who's just kind of, he's in this kind of weird spot where he's discouraged a little bit and just maybe questioning what God may have called him to do. And so Paul says, hey, when you, when you see this man, encourage him. Hey, fulfill the ministry that God has called you to, that you have received from the Lord. And so I want to encourage you this morning to do the exact same thing, right? Fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord, right? And I can look across the room, and your ministries that God has called you to are really, really different, Right? Yes, we can say, well, it's, it's the ministry of the church, and yes, it is. But I want you to think personally. Where do you find yourself living and working and interacting and connecting with people? That's your ministry. That's your ministry. It could be in an office. It could be in a classroom. Right? It, it, it could be on a job site with other people, just rubbing elbows with other people. You have a ministry. God's using you. He's put you there for a reason. You could be a mom here or this morning or listening online, and man, your ministry just could be getting through the day with your children. You're homeschooling now. Right, man? Just fulfill, be faithful, and fulfill that ministry. So just, I want to encourage you to, to, just to think, okay, where am I? We can get so frustrated and discouraged and we can lose contentment of where God has us fulfill your ministry. He's got you there for you and he brings those people into your lives, some that are fun to be with, others that aren't so fun to be with. He brings them there for you to, to, to use you, to grow you. So you're all archipus to me, and I want to encourage you, right, fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. So Paul says, right, he, he writes these greetings with his own hands, and he tells them to, to remember his chains and grace be with you. Right? Paul's freedom is greatly restricted. He doesn't have the freedom in the movement that he used to have. You know Paul that would most likely would most want to be out on the road meeting people and sharing the gospel and investing in people, but he finds himself in prison. But he's still doing the work of the ministry. He's still fulfilling the ministry that God had called him to, even though he's chained up to other people and other men probably most of his days. Remember my chains... Pray for me. He's asked them to pray already about opportunities to share the gospel, get these open doors to share the gospel, and grace be with you. The only way that you're going to fulfill your ministry, the only way it's going to happen is if God's grace is with you, and God's grace is with you, so be faithful to fulfill your ministry. So Paul, right, does not do life alone. We should not do life alone. 
right? As we, we went through that list of eight people, right, there were some scars and some blemishes and some warts on some of them. But God still used them in Paul's life and in the work of the gospel. And so as you're sitting here this morning, as I'm standing up here this morning, I have scars, I have warts, I have blemishes, but God can still use me and still use you for the work of the gospel. Understand that you are not going to have squeaky clean, perfect people in your life, but God has brought them to you for a reason. Understand that you are not a squeaky clean person in someone else's life, and they have brought you into their lives for a reason. Right? It's for the gospel. Right? God gives us, in his grace, exactly who we need. Right? Not who we want, who we need. Ultimately, right, we are united in Christ Right? And so therefore we are united to one another. We have this bond with Christ and we have a, therefore a bond with one another. And although we come from different walks of life and different experiences, God can use all that and unite all of that for his glory and for the gospel. That's his grace. Right? You need people in your life and you need to be in other people's lives. You need that companionship. God wants to use me. He wants to use you in the lives of one another. And ultimately, we need to have the same singular focus, right? That we would rely on our union with Christ, that we would pursue Jesus. And in doing so, we would see us grow and mature. And who we are in Christ. I think that's, the, that's what Paul's saying in this letter to, to the Colossian people. Christ is supreme. Pursue him. Right? Pursue him. You're united with him. Pursue him. And because you're united with him, other people are You're united all together with one another. Pursue him together. You need one another. You need, despite the warts and the, and the, uh, the things that happen, you, you need one another. Pursue him. He's your singular purpose. He is supreme. He is sufficient for all that you need. Pursue Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your words. Lord, I thank you for this letter. That your child, your apostle, Paul, wrote... Lord, even as we just think about the, the life of Paul, if there was a man who had some blemishes and so who had some warts in his life, it was Paul. But you saved him. In your loving kindness, in your grace, in your mercy, you saved him on that road to Damascus and you used him. So 
So, Lord, may that be an encouragement to us, that you have saved us by your grace and that you choose to use us by your grace. There's only been one man to walk on this earth who has no blemishes, who has no warts and sin in his life, and that is Jesus, who lived the perfect sinless life and who gave up that life to pay for our sin, who took the wrath of God upon himself for our sin, and who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. And we are united with him, and it is he and he only that unites us. So Lord, may we never lose sight of that truth. Lord, may we rest in who we are in you. Lord, may we be faithful to be used by you in others' lives. And may we be humble to have others use themselves in our lives as we seek you because you are supreme. You are the ultimate. May we be faithful in our pursuit of Jesus. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others. And for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.